Stephanie Coxon. And I'm Kathy Anderson Martin. And we are two women influencing real lives. So let's twirl. Winston Churchill famously said that those who fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. History has many, many lessons. And today we're going to speak to someone whose family and personal story encompasses an awful lot of history. And um, we invite you to join us on that journey and conversation. I'm Stephanie Coxon. And I'm Kathy Anderson Martin. And we are two women inspiring real lives. So let's twirl. I'm super excited about today's interview, mostly because Russia was the only country I've ever been to where I could understand the language the first day of being there. Well, that is a wonderful thing to share. Thank you. I <laughs> cannot, but um, we have our our gifts, and I appreciate knowing that about you, Stephanie. That's something I I just learned. They so thank li- you. They literally have like three roles to tell you how to like convert, and I could read it, and I negotiated in Russian. I couldn't do it now, but I could while I was in Russia. Well, I'm glad to again know that about you, um, because I I actually helped some people learn English as a sec- second language that spoke Russian, but um, I I didn't learn a thing. It's one of my favorite so. favorite history you know, things to well, read about and all sorts. Of, okay, I, but go ahead. All right. But anyway, <laughs> we just uh, digress for a moment, but history is certainly important. And today we have a special guest, Sveka Popoff. She's a successful entrepreneur, a speaker and host of uh, the Ones Who Dared podcast. And she has an amazing family story, which is also her personal story that includes Nazi Germany, as we mentioned, and communism under the USSR. So welcome, Sveka. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be here. Well, um, I would love if you would share a little bit about yourself and your personal story, and then we'll go on and get into your family story and what you're doing with that. So can you share a little bit? Yes. So uh, my name is Vika Popov, like you said, and um, like most kids growing up um, in the States, well, I was an immigrant kid. So I came here, I was born in Russia, and then I actually lived in Ukraine. And when we moved to the States, um, I got a lot of flack for being, you know, different or a Russian kid. And so I've been called the Russian spy and I go back to where you came from kind of comments. And so for me, I was growing up just wanting to fit in and not really identify with my former history or my family history. And, um, Can but, I ask you a question, Seka? Yeah. What, what age did you come, come to the United States? I was eight. Okay. So yeah. Yeah. And so growing up, um, and, you know, in the beginning, it was really kind of like you just you don't want to own identity of who you are because of that. Um, and um, my mom, my mom and my grandmother, they shared some of their stories. You know, you get to hear just like grandparents are always giving you stories over and over again. You get to hear the same kind of things. And I knew my grandma was a little bit weird because she would like collect crumbs on the table and eat them. And she hated the color red and all these different things. Um And at one point I actually thought, you know, she has an incredible story and I wanted to interview her. And so I did. Um, But it wasn't until my mom passed away at the in the spring of 2019 that developed a real curiosity for me for my family history. And thankfully, I had a letter from my grandmother, which had her full history um, written out for me that she gave me after the interview. And that took me back to the history of the people. And what I found was um, just incredible what they've been through. And since learning the history, I really look, I have a very different perspective and really value the fact that I'm here today living in America with the freedoms that we have, because it's very opposite of what my family experience was like. And that was the reason why they moved to the States. 
they sacrificed so much for me to even be sitting and talking with you guys today. That's amazing. I mean, it's the American dream, you know, the opportunity in the United States. But your story, um, do you want to share, does it start with your grandmother in Ukraine or Russia? Is that is that where that starts? Yeah, so my grandmother's story is pretty crazy. Um, she's actually been a slave to um, in two separate concentration camps in Germany and in Siberia. When she was 16 years old, she was taken from her hometown by Nazi Germany. They occupied the territory where she lived in Taganrog by the Sea of Azov near the Black Sea. And there um, she went on to be part of the Osterbiters, which is the Eastern Europeans who were taken um, by Germans to essentially be part of the concentration camps and work to build their economy. Um, and then she was liberated by the Americans. And that was the first time um, that, you know, she was able to taste chocolate and see, just experience freedom. And she was presented with an option to go anywhere, to go live in America, to go live in Belgium and uh, to France. There was a guy who had a crush on her in the concentration camp and she could have, you know, been in France and living somewhere in the vineyard, you know, I'm assuming, but um, she chose to go back to her motherland. And that was really important to her to and you know when she was taken she was only 16 so this was only a few years later and of course she wanted to go back home um but when she came back she experienced an extra um kind of set of um discrimination by her own people and several years later she became a believer and when she became a believer she was under the eye of the kgb constantly so they're they're always watching her and one of the pivotal points in her life was um she was sitting reading a book like we would be today and would be considered a book club essentially and when she was reading a book um the kgb came knocking in her door and they arrested her and her friend and they took her to the local kgb office and uh they questioned her and what they really wanted was three things for her to deny her faith to deny uh, what she believed and to adhere to communist rules and ideals and to betray her friends and all of those things she refused to do. So they, after interrogating her and not getting what they wanted, she wasn't willing to sign the paperwork, um, you know, denying her faith, they sent her to a prison. So she was tortured for nine months. Um, you know, there was an electric chair that was involved. They um, interrogated with her with all sorts of really evil tactics. Um, and when they were not successful in that, they sent her to a Siberian gulag and under the political um, section of 5811 and 5810 as being the American spy and conspiring against her government. So she at that point became the enemy of the people and was sent to Siberian Gulag for eight years for wow. um, being a person of faith and essentially refusing to deny who she was. Give us a little background on the on a gulag. Well, could I? I have one quick question before the gulag. When you said she was taken into the Nazi to back up a little, the Nazis took her from Russia. Is that is that my understanding? Like they that's I right. Realize that that happened. So they they came into Russia and took her mm -hmm. prisoner, just her or her entire family. So they were taking um, young people. So in the beginning, what was going on with um, when the Nazi were taking over? Because the um, the Eastern Europe side and the Russian side, Ukrainian side, there was in such um, state of poverty. Things were so dire that people were you know starving. It just was terrible. So in that case, what the Germans did initially is they advertised that, you know, if you come to Germany, then we have this work opportunity. They created posters. There was a lot of propaganda on trying to entice young workers to come and volunteer to work in Germany, which, you know, later they found out that wasn't really the case. And when that wasn't, when they ran out of workers, what happened was they got an order to 
uh, force people into labor. And my grandmother fell into the category of when they were taking the, the firstborn kid out of each family in the area. So she was the oldest. And because of that, she was um, the one that was taken to, to go there and to work essentially. And you had to report if you didn't report and if you weren't willing to go with the Nazis, then, you know, you're putting your family at risk and, um, yourself in danger essentially. But this isn't a story that's really talked about in yeah. uh, history books and stuff, you know, them going into Russia and doing this. This is right. really and I think it's fascinating that first they tried that, hey, it's going to be great. We're just giving you an opportunity to work. Right. And people yeah. I guess, went and did that because yeah. they felt it was a good opportunity to provide for their families. And when they got there, that wasn't the case. Correct. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's amazing. So now we can go back to the gulag. I, yeah. I, that's just amazing. I, I Again, that's why I wanted clarification because I wasn't really like you, I didn't under, you know, know that part of history. I never, no one's ever talked. Yeah. No one's so, ever talked about so it. Go ahead. Now, what was your question? On the yeah. Board? I mean, Osterbiters is something that isn't really talked about. I wasn't th- taught it in school either. And when I, when I first read my grandmother's letter, I read it out of context of history, not knowing the background of that. And I was like, what is an Osterbiter? And why does she have to wear um, the Jews wore the yellow star, you know, to, to mark them as Jews when they were in the concentration camps. And my grandmother said she had to wear a patch that was uh, a square patch and it had the letters OST in white on a blue patch. And so I was doing research and there's not a whole lot of information. And finally I found somebody who uh, took all these letters of people that were taken from Eastern Europe. And there's between three to, they estimate three to four to 5.5 million Eastern European workers wow. who were taken. And that was for work, not for uh, extermination camps like the Jews. Wow. Hmm. That that's amazing. And so then she gets back to the to Russia and then we get to the her faith expression and she's taken and then I mean it's just a ama- it's amazing story right there, but it keeps right. going. So she's taken to the gulag and to the camp, correct? Yeah. Yeah. And actually when she came back from the Nazi camp, um, the crazy thing that happened was that when Osterbiters came back to their hometown, especially to Russia, they were heavily discriminated against. People consider them as traitors of their own land, even those who were taken by force, because they assumed that you're a traitor because you also had contact with the outside world. Um, You were exposed to, you know, different people. And so even when she came back, to her own homeland, she was sent to the KGB office and interrogated there every night. And she said that lasted for a long time. Um, and they would ask her, why, why were you in Germany? What were you doing there? Who did you talk to? And it's, you know, and that continued as if she, the answer would be different. And as if, you know, this is something that she chose to do, which she was taken there by force. And so the Osterbiters kind of carried a stain with them everywhere they went. Um, the women had a really hard time getting married. People had really hard time getting jobs because you were considered an outsider and you already were an enemy of the state. So when she came back from Germany, she already had um, eyes on her by the KGB and they had records of her um, even to get back into your country after you were um, a slave in Germany. You had to go through a filtration point and you had to clear your name. And in, in her letter, my grandmother writes, thank God that I wasn't shot or taken to a gulag right after at the filtration point before she returned home she said because a lot of people were and so if you didn't clean you know you didn't weren't able to clear your name and have consistent answers they could just say you know what we don't believe you you're just going to go to the gulag or you know you could just get shot for that so her name was cleared she got the clearance to go back to her country 
and live there, but she was still under the eye and very much discriminated against for being an Osterweiter. Do you think she realized that that's what was going to happen when she went back? Do I mean, do you think that there, you know, I guess because it was maybe, I don't know. Because she had options to go elsewhere. I, I, I imagine she didn't expect that, or maybe she, you know, she just had no idea, I guess. Well, there was a few things that were happening with that. Um, so the Red Army sent um, soldiers and they were creating propaganda and, and enticing people to come back. And they were actually sent to get people their you know, people to come back to the country. And so they would say, like, the motherland hasn't forgotten you. There's a lot of poster boards that they even made if like if when I was uh, reading into the history portion of that um, and they said, you know, we haven't forgotten you. Um, we're waiting for you. Things are great down there. And so they kind of made it seem like when they return, things are going to be great. And then other people were saying, you know, it's not going to be great. So there was conflicting information that people were hearing and they weren't sure. And also, you know, when you have America is the one that comes and rescues you. Right. So she was uh, she was liberated by the American, the British and the French. They came and liberated the concentration camp that she was at in um, Germany. And so your whole life, you're kind of, you know, America is the enemy, right? Because they're the capitalist. Um, they're it, the, the Russians called them rotten capitalist. And so, you know, they're terrible. Um, and my grandmother, even when initially, when she was presented the opportunity to move the States later on in her life, she was kind of hesitant because of all the things that you are programmed to believe about, you know, the, uh, America and the country that you're that is considered the enemy, essentially. So up to this point, propaganda has factored a lot into those, yes. uh, like from Germany uh, to bring the, uh, you know, the Russians who went there, who wasn't always, I guess that's a lesson in and of itself, Stephanie, you know, don't right. always believe what you're told. You do have to wonder how far back have we been propagandized to it, get to where we are today? I think that goes back to the beginning of time. And then even, mm -hmm. even to get the opportunity to go to the United States, she still is kind of like, I don't know. Right. Uh, but yeah. But before we got there, how did she survive? I mean, she went to the concentration camp because she wouldn't give up her faith. That's right. And, um, you know, and that was, was she by herself there? Was it her whole family or how did, what happened? No, um, she was just there by herself. Um, they, you know, they transported her through the different prisons until, um, you know, she was officially assigned as an American spy conspiring against the enemy, uh, against her own country and being the enemy of the state under the fifth, uh, section 5810 and 5811. And uh, she was sent there for eight years and uh, they were just forced to do really gruesome labor. And in the letter, my grandmother writes that the Siberian concentration camp was far worse than the one in Germany, even though they were both very hard laborsome camps. Um, it was just really cruel treatment there. The, you know, they had to walk six miles to their job site um, in the middle of the snow, being improperly dressed, and then work a whole day in order to get the ration of food for that day. Um, but her, you know, the reason that she was able, I think, to survive and to really have the will to live was because of her faith in God. She, that's what kept her grounded, and that's what kept her hoping, and that's what kept her hope alive. And a lot of people died in those camps. Um, but yeah, she just, she continued to gather with believers there after every, she said after every workday, they would gather together uh, what they called, she called it the fig tree, but it was, you know, what I'm imagining is really at the end of like a, behind a barrack and they're gathering together as their spot. And a lot of times they would, um, you know, tell them to 
separate and would kick them around. And uh, it just, it was really, really hard for them to be there. But even in the camp, she rewrote the Bible verses. She had a secret little Bible that someone gave her. She never like really gave up on who she was, even in the camp as she was there. At one point, they even decided that why should we work on Sundays? We're Christians and we don't work Sundays. So they protested in the middle of the concentration camp. And I'm thinking, man, my grandma <laughs> had the audacity to do that. She's crazy. <laughs> my gosh, she's a, that's amazing. You know, as you're sitting here sharing this story, and I know there's more to it, um, you know, I think so many of us um, and so many even young people today, like they don't they don't know about Soviet, you know, the Soviet system versus the Russia they see today, whatever. And you know, the oppression that those people were under and the th- the smallest things that we take for granted, her faith of having a Bible or, and, and, you know, we just don't see, we, I mean, I grew up, I mean, I went to school in the eighties. So, you know, the Soviet union was still the cold war. I mean, Reagan, I, that was during my time, but people, yeah. I think they just don't understand what, ha- what that oppression was like. Yeah. And I mean, you said in the beginning about your life in America, you know, versus that. Um, and it, we just take our freedoms for granted. Don't you think Stephanie? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the freedom of faith right there, you know, and what she was put under say to um, reject this or you're going to this camp. Right. And I, you have to wonder if we've had it so easy in the U S if any of us would have the tenacity to actually stand up like she did. I mean, I, I just don't know too many people, no, honestly. And, and then I think that's amazing that she said, no, we're not working on Sunday <laughs> to the, the right. gulag commander. <laughs> I don't know that I could do that. And no, I'm willing to go no. pretty far. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if uh, because of that, they were sent into isolation. And so, you know, they got punished for that um, pretty severely. But it's it's the continuation. It's not giving up to what you believe. And, um, and so going through her story, when Stalin died, Everybody who was um, sentenced to five years or less was liberated or given amnesty, but her sentence was eight years. So she had to stay. And that's at that point where she was started being like, okay, God, like, this is not fair. I'm here because of you and I have to stay like, you know, and she was starting to really lose hope that she's just going to die here. And as you imagine, like your health would really deteriorate. I mean, I'm, you know, trying to eat healthy here and trying to eat the right foods and all of that. Um, there they're eating just junk, you know, they'd be lucky if they had some meat in their soup, you know, they're just given broth and things that are really just leftovers. And, um, and so to be there for such a long time and know that there's hope, but you're not part of that hope, you know, so she was kept back, but she, she, um, eventually just surrendered and said, you know what, God, your will um, be done in my life. And if this is what you have me do, then this is what I'm going to be doing in here. Um, and then um, when she was liberated, um, the, the officer told her, you know, you're free to go. And it was in January in the middle of the night. And she said, I'm not going anywhere. It's the middle of the night. There's animals outside of the Siberian, you know, wherever they were stationed in into Siberia. And she said, you're not going to, you can't kick me out and I'm going to sleep over the night and I'll leave tomorrow morning. I'll pack my stuff and leave tomorrow morning. Becca, you have some serious um, uh Roots. I mean, <laughs> genetic with this woman. <laughs> now you right. can leave the gulag after eight years, and I'm not going tonight because it's- <laughs> yeah, there's animals outside. It's dark, and I, you know, it's dangerous. So I'm just gonna stay here a little bit longer, and and that's what she did. And it, you know, her story is, is crazy because she walked out in the middle of nowhere. Like you have no no idea where you are. Um, 
and you're not having a family member come pick you up. I mean, like you're <laughs> Uber, like, Uber's not the, around. Right. Like right. we need, we really need to put this in perspective yeah. because yes. let's be honest, us Americans don't really understand it. Yeah. We don't right. do well with things that are inconvenient adversity. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, think about it. You're, you're told you're free to go. Um, and you have no finances to get to where you need to go. You don't have the ability, you, you don't know where you're going because you, you know, you know the area by working in that area, so to speak, you know, like you, you work grounds in the forest here and you know, where she worked was swampy area. It was the forest. Um, and so, yeah, she had to find her way back home and it was a, almost, I think 2000 miles if I'm not uh, mistaken, really? but I had the notes how far her home was. Yeah. It would be like all the way across the state and that's how and she um miraculously um and you know coincidentally right um she's walking to go home and before she left she had to officially get her uh, freedom papers so saying that she was officially released and get that signed by the um the center in the gulag there so she was walking and she was just praying and like i don't know where i'm going and you know i don't know where to go there was a man that like was walking behind her and uh, he so happened to be a guy that was um, the husband of the woman she served in the Gulag earlier. And he um, was living in this house that this guy um, purchased. He gathered money, purchased it, and uh, they were housing all these people who were um, being freed. It was like a temporary kind of shelter and in between space. So she spent the, the new year there, the Orthodox New Year that January and uh they were believers there so and and she said that was such a joyous time for her that if she really was able to regain her strength and they put her in a train um and through moscow she traveled back home and got home well so she benefited by other people of like mind who uh like faith in this in this instance who yeah. helped her to get back to her family and that's something i think through this show stephanie and i've been talking about about finding your people um yeah. in various aspects there i mean with it when you find your people you get you gain strength right yeah. yeah and i think that's so important for people to realize and that you really do have to create that community around you and and just surround yourself because that is what's going to give you the um ambition to continue right and to grow and to become who you're supposed to be. And in this case, I mean, we say that figuratively with things stand up to this or that. I mean, in, in her case, it was a life or death on her part, but also the people that stepped in to help her. You know, we all have are given a mission and an assignment. We don't know what that is, but they stepped in to help her to take the next leg of her journey. So we all have an assignment, if you will. Yeah. And even when she was in the gulag, they would encourage each other. There were even men in the men's barracks at the gulag who would write um, letters and notes of encouragement and they would encourage each other. And that's how I think that was part of how she sustained being there for, I think, uh, five and a half years in the in the gulag um, out of the eight years she served. Um, they would get together and they would pray and uh, read the word together, encourage each other that way, even in when that was not illegal. And this is, you know, your punishment. Um, so, yeah, definitely continue to do that. And when she got back to back home and after she got married, even though it was still illegal, she opened an underground church. And that's where my mom grew up in an underground church in the Soviet Union. As so, we, it's an amazing <laughs> it's just, I mean, I love, I love hearing, I love history. I love studying history, but the firsthand accounts or this, you know, and a firsthand account yeah. through you and your family is really amazing. And I think the things people, more people have to hear, kids have to hear, 
And um, it's just an incredible um, story all the way around from your grandmother's side, again, from those people that had input into her life, and I'm sure she put into other people's lives and is doing through you today. And um, we'll come back with more of that story. Uh, We need to take a little break, and then we'll be back to hear what happens as we go on to the underground church in the USSR and beyond that. So back in a moment. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system to keep our bodies free from harmful bacteria, viruses, and toxins become less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. You wouldn't go a day without brushing your teeth or washing your hands. What about washing your nose? I mean, your nose does filter the air you breathe, air loaded with bacteria, viruses, and irritants. Make nasal hygiene part of your routine with Clear. No messy bottles to fill, no drowning sensation. Clear is a natural drug-free saline with the added benefit of xylitol, which blocks bacterial and viral adhesion. Available in stores and online at clear.com. That is X-L-E-A-R.com. Well, the out loud truth was the rallying call that started it all. AmericaOutloud.news was an idea, a movement, a place where folks would feel comfortable speaking the truth without being censored or canceled. The First Amendment is alive and well. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. 
shows go to podcast typically a day or two after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. You can hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure to subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for us. So Sveka, Grandma has gone 2,000 miles across Siberia. She's gotten home to her family in Russia, not Ukraine, Russia, correct? Correct. And really quite miraculously. <laughs> I like. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm saying that, like, okay, so she just went 2,000 miles across Siberia, and um, now she's in Russia. I mean, it, the story there is incredible, but it continues. It, right. So Yeah, so tell us, okay, so she's setting up an underground church. Mm-hmm. And what's and what's happening there? Well, you know, it, it the history of Soviet Union is interesting because different leaders or dictators, I should say, <laughs> had uh, different rules, right? And that really affected the church. Um, the year my mom was born was 1958, and that's the year that Nikita Khrushchev came to power, and he made a statement. Um, it's hard to find this online, but I've heard it from several accounts that I interviewed. And he said that I will show the last believer standing on television. And his plan and goal was to eradicate believers out of the country. And so he issued an anti-religious campaign in the country. And so even gathering of two believers was very risky. And the people that I interviewed would tell me that during these times, they had to really be creative in how they got together. So... Um, some of that look like people um, trickling down into a house throughout the night. So say, you know, I'm holding the underground church and maybe at two o'clock in the morning, I have Joe come up, you know, through the basement and then Susie rolls in at three, you know, and that type of thing. Um, And they would do, they would have the service around four in the morning and then they would trickle out of the house slowly and kind of merge into the crowd or into the, the rest of the civilians, so to speak. So they would do things like that. They would gather in the forest. Um, They would have, you know, the the weddings were still allowed, but depending on where you lived in um, the Soviet Union was the, the persecution intensity was different. And that was really interesting through my research too, because um, like if you lived in Nahotka, which is the, um, the far East, there's a, a city there that had connection with the U.S. And because people knew that, um, they were they were afraid to really do anything crazy or persecute them in a way that would alert the Americans and really have evidence that there's persecution happening. And then in places that were really rural, um, if you had a wedding, the people who were essentially KGB informists, and it could be anybody, could come in and just completely disrupt the service and just do heinous crimes at the wedding. And so those were the kind of things that were not uncommon. And uh, my mom grew up in the underground church and they, you know, like speaking, even when I spoke with my mom about it, um, her siblings, they would say that they always had the KGB eyes on them. They knew they were always watched no matter where they went. And anybody could be an informant. It could be your neighbor. It could be someone hiding behind the bushes, which actually happened very often in my grandmother's house, they would have people in the bushes that would be hiding out. Um, and so, um, Rebecca, you can, were, I ask, can I ask a quick question when we talk yeah. about the KGB? I mean, were these normal people that were uh, recruited? I mean, you, you think of like some kind of formal officer, but were they normal people that were recruited or given something to report their neighbors or were they officials of the government? I mean, how th- th- that they could have so many eyes out on all these people. 
Well, it, you know, essentially it's the, it's the brainwashing of that you are being loyal to your country and you need to report if there's something that's out of line, right? And it's not in line with what. So these people didn't even make money off of this. They just decided <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to turn these people in because I'm loyal to my country. Yeah, I mean, you you have the official KGB officials, you know, um, and so they would be the ones that are, you know, work, working for the government. So they were, were at one point they were called NKVD, and then uh, they trans, um, then they became KGB. But most people in America, especially, know it as a KGB. So um, I kind of use that interchangeably here. Um, and and then essentially they 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 recruited people to just inform. And you could have a grandma who's sitting on a bench, you know, just eating sunflower seeds and reading a newspaper and she's keeping an eye on things. And so you never really knew what to believe and who you could trust. And that was a really big thing because everybody is suspicious to you. And that was hard to have trust within, um, you know, if you just finding friends and things like that, you definitely, it was tricky. It's, it's a, a tool. I think when you can turn people against each other within their own country and community, um, these are the kinds of things that happen. And, you know, a, a lesson to all of us, you know, that Absolutely. about um, just the the harm that can come. And, you know, it's amazing. It's really amazing when you say that, that the, gra the grandmother could have been the person spying on you and reporting that to authorities to send you to a terrible demise. Do, do you know the tools that they use to to let this happen in Russia? Like, how did they divide people so much that people were were willing to do that? Well, I mean, it, it really st stems down from um, early education too, because in schools you were um, told to inform if your parents discussed anything about the leaders, if they said anything negative about the leaders, um, about the government. And so there was times that that happened and you know, the kid was just following what the teacher said. And so the teachers were very much part of the, uh, the program. And uh, they would tell the students, like, you know, if your parents are saying anything over dinner about so-and-so, um, let us know, you know, and this is how things should be. And the kids would come back and um, there was actually a case of a, I forget his name now, but it's a very famous um, story of this kid. And he told the teacher uh, that his dad, um, I forget exactly what happened, but that he was, he said something about the leader, Stalin. And because of that, his dad was taken um, and his dad was taken to a gulag and uh, and this kid was the hero and the schools would sing about him and there's poems about this kid. And so he was uh, presented to schools as heroic because he did a heroic act for the country, even though he betrayed his own father. We, and so go ahead. I'm sorry. It, it, it's just we had um, some talking about education the past two two weeks and just about, you know, a parent, the parents control and the parent being ownership with your children versus, you know, handing that over, abdicating that to the school or the government. And this is a perfect example of what happened um, then for nefarious reasons, uh, you know, certainly. The only, you know, kids, it makes sense. I mean, kids say the dar the darndest things. I mean, fortunately, <laughs> fortunately, usually they're just embarrassing the, for the whole family that needs a little bit of explanation. But in this scenario, like, like you're being hauled off. I mean, it's, <laughs> is this no joke? <laughs> All right. Yeah. And you didn't have the option of homeschooling or private schooling or charter schools, right? So you have to send them to the public school. 
And I think for me, that was one of the really interesting things about studying that um, kind of part of the story is that my grandmother didn't have a choice but to send her kids to the same communist school that, you know, they put her in the gulag. And uh, so you you think you have to really do your due diligence at home in order for your kids not to be, um, you know, brainwashed by the communist atheist belief systems. And uh, my mom was not allowed to join the um, communist youth movement or youth party. And actually, uh, my editor had me dig kind of into my scenes of my story, which, you know, initially that was not what I was, I was not part of the story. <laughs> and uh, I was like, wait a minute, I remember being in school too. And I remember that because we didn't participate in the communist youth party. And this was, I was in school in Ukraine at that time in elementary school. And uh, I was also not liked by the teachers and that, um, you know, that put me in a kind of a, that I'm not compliant as a student because I'm not willing to join the, it would be kind of like a boys and girls club, but it's more of a, a youth movement that starts elementary school all the way to graduation. And you graduate different tiers, there's three different tiers um, to that. And you're taught the values of communism, you're taught um, the values of teamwork, camaraderie and uh, for the country. And it's really all these communist values and ideals are instilled in you through that club um and so and you, were, you were not allowed to join i mean you were part of, you were not allowed to, your mom wasn't allowed to join it because your grandmother and then she told you know that's good parenting yep. you know <laughs> good parenting carries on and your mom said you couldn't join it either so right and what made me sad is um my my son who's he was in high school and he said you know mom the kids in my school think communism is a really good idea it just hasn't been done right and I'm like, oh my gosh, they have no idea. They have I, no idea. I, I've heard that multiple times that when I was getting my PhD, there was someone in my class and he would use that that phrase all the time. That's that's what he was saying. It's just never been done correctly. And I thought, how on earth, you know, now he's a, he was a mathematician, not a historian, but, you know, I don't know how you arrive to that conclusion because in life, nothing ever goes perfectly. You can't have perfectionism, uh, it just doesn't happen, right? So the idea that that can even, you know, come to fruition in a perfect manner, I think is almost insane. Well, yeah, I think I think that the thing that was this, like the thing that's really profound to me is that communism isn't just about a people against being of people of faith, it's not targeted just to one specific group. You can't have a free mind of any sort. You can't have literature of any sort. And so, you know, when people think, well, that's just, um, you know, that just kind of they're against Christians or they're against God. So if I don't believe in God, who cares, right? But it's not, it's really, you don't have the ability to be a free thinker, to think creatively, to think outside the box. It's you, you're, you're taught what you're taught and that is what your limiting belief has to be and you can't think outside of that or you will be punished to some degree and so that's something that um yeah i mean so many people were sent to gulags for the craziest things and one of the things that was most surprising to me in this whole journey of writing and speaking about it and was um i got done speaking at a school um sharing my grandmother's story kind of like i'm sharing with you today and I called my aunt and I said, you know, there was all these kids who are really impacted by the story and they had, you know, and she said, you know, if grandma was alive today, she probably wouldn't want you to make her out to be a hero. And I said, what do you mean? 
And she said she didn't, she doesn't consider herself to be a hero. She never considered herself to be someone who did anything significant. She said, because a lot of people went to the gulags for no reason at all. You could just, your neighbor could say, oh, he, that neighbor said something against Stalin and all of a sudden you're in the gulag. And so she said so many people suffered and died and were in gulags for no reason. And the fact that she survived is the mercy of God. And that's what she considered that to be the grace of God is why she was able to endure and, and withstand it all. And, um, and she said, so, you know, she wouldn't want to be made out to be a hero. And I thought, so should I not continue to share her story? And then I went back. And so to me, that was really perplexing, but I get where she's coming from because so many people suffered. It wasn't just the believers. It was anyone who was against the regime that suffered. And I think that's the thing that um, is important to understand about these kind of tyrannical systems is it's not just the one group that suffers. It's anyone who's against it that suffers. I think you sharing this story. I mean, I'm sitting here thinking er every kid in America should hear you share this story. And I mean, there are other folks that have stories like yours, but um, they just don't have any concept or understanding. It's like you said, it wasn't just one group. It was anyone who opposed right. what the regime said and, you know, and no freedom whatsoever, you know, the and, and that, you know, to be what you want, to read what you want, to think what you want, to just say, I have a different idea. And uh, mm -hmm. that's what I think they need to hear. And they just don't get it. They, it, it's sad. I saw a kid was wearing a Stalin shirt. Um, someone had, you know, posted like, look at this kid in school. He has a Stalin shirt. And I thought that man was responsible for tens of millions of people yeah. dying horrible deaths. And he's elevated to this kind of, I mean, it's that what's right is wrong. What's wrong is right kind of thing. It's just awful. And, you know, you, you, you take that narrative and turn it upside down to say, no, this is what really happened. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, that's the story of my family. I can only speak of what happened to my family that I know personally, you know, um, and the, the multiple interviews, um, that I've done with people who were also in gulags or were also persecuted. And that's kind of the point of view that I want to speak from is from that. And from me, I, um, like I said, growing up, I never really cared about the history of Russia. I wanted nothing to do with it because I was trying to build my own identity. I was trying to build the American dream. I, did not want to look in the past for me that was kind of like going backwards but what i learned is by learning the past we can know how to operate in the future and and do well now and um and also looking back in the past and learning the history has made me really appreciate the freedoms that i have today because the fact that i'm here today speaking to you is on the sacrifices of the people that came before me and uh my mom left everything she knew behind her world just to give us kids a better opportunity to have religious freedom is why we moved to America and how for religious she, freedom. Was she able to freely exit the country um, or had she, was that something your mom in getting to America? Yeah, she was able to, her, her mom was already here. So she had family here and they were able to, um, you know, uh, file for her to also come here. But, you know, the, my mom never had to think twice about moving out of, the Soviet Union coming to the States because she knew she, even though she risked everything, even though they were only allowed to leave with uh, 90 rubles or $90 per person. So even if you sold your house, you had to come to the country poor. Essentially, um, she, it was worth the risk for her. And so, 
you know, the fact that today I can be a business owner is a really, really big deal. And, um, and my mom was also a business owner when she was here she was able to have those freedoms as a woman and, you know, just as a citizen to have those freedoms that, um, were not so, um, the same when she lived in the Soviet Union. I, I did not know that, that when they did leave, I, was this Gorbachev after Gorbachev? We, uh, it was in 94. So okay. things, okay. things were, yeah, a lot more different then. Um, but I did not know you could only leave with $90. I mean, that's what you just 90 said. Rubles. Or 90 rubles. Right. Yeah. I guess that would be, I don't know. We'd have I, yeah. I don't know. It depends don't know. on the exchange rate of the time. Yes. <laughs> I, don't, I don't feel we're going to get into it to that level, but you just said something interesting. You had to come to the country poor. Yeah, because, yeah, you, the, you know, you were not, you were allowed to leave with a certain amount of money and it, it varied depending on what year time you left, you know, but essentially, um, yeah, you, so we gave a lot of stuff away when we were leaving. Uh, we sold our house, but a lot of that was given away. And it was the first time I remember um, being treated to like really delicious things in the train on the way to the airport because we could afford it finally. Wow. That. And again, it's incredible. Um, you know, we hear so much and I, I, in my job, I speak to a lot of youth groups and I always try to tell them free is not free. You know, someone pays for it at some point. And, um, you know, again, so many Americans, I think, and especially young people just think I should have this, it should be given to me. Um, your parents came here and, you know, had to start all over again, um, and work for everything they had, um, with nothing, with nothing. And, you know, it's, it's an incredible story. And again, even that part of the story, I think should be told to a lot of young people and kids today, uh, because of what they did and the sacrifices they made for you. Yeah. Now, did I hear you correctly that your grandmother came here first and then your mother followed, or did I misunderstand? Yeah, well, it, my my mom came after my grandmother, so that's correct. Um, but prior to that, um, before my grandmother moved, her um, her daughter and her son were already living here. So she, you know, made the trek out here after she had two of her kids here already. But my mom did move after my grandmother. Mm -hmm. Wow. So the whole family really started over yeah. in pieces. Um, yeah. We get... And each one with that limited amount of money had to start again. Yeah. Once they arrived. And how did, do you remember that? I mean, your mom, did you, um, in, in relocating the United States and reestablishing yourselves, do you remember that when you were a kid and what that entailed and, you know, Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What do you want to know? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I've helped do some refugee resettlement and so forth, you know, and I know it's hard. Again, we talk about community a lot. They came to our church and our church helped and so forth. And I'd imagine you have stories of people helping um, your family to get established because it's be hard to do that by yourself. Yeah, we um, so when we moved to Portland, Oregon, that was the place that we moved from Ukraine to. Um... I'm so sorry. Stephanie is apologizing for Portland, Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I am. But continue. <laughs> Just know that we are better sorry. than I don't know. But go on. Um and so we moved there. Yeah, we had, um, there was just, a, I remember first Christmas. So, I mean, initially when we came, our, our family, it was like a whole reunion, you know, we're coming from another country and all, we have all these relatives and people that I've never seen before. And there's amounts of food I've never seen in my life, you know, and fruits and vegetables. And it's like, there's oranges in the table and there's bananas and things that are just not something that we have access to at all. 
Um, so that was incredible. Um, but I remember my first Christmas vividly because we had, you know, they moved us into this home and our aunts were helping and everything too. They were part of this process. They worked really hard for years before we came there. And, um, there's a Christmas tree and all these beautiful American jolly people just so excited with gifts under the tree. And they're just like waiting for us to unwrap these gifts. And we're just waiting to unwrap the gifts. But the thing is, no one told us that you're allowed to unwrap the gifts in front of the gift giver because it's not how we were used to in our country. <laughs> so we we were waiting anxiously until everybody left so we can get in and unwrap these gifts. And they were waiting for us to open. And so no one like really, you know, there was a translator there, like my aunt, I guess she would have been the one to translate. But so yeah, and um, I got these Lion King pajamas, which I thought were the coolest thing in the world. And I wore them to school. And of course was got made fun of for <laughs> <laughs> I thought, wow, these are so cool. This little line drawing, you know, and um, and you could wear whatever you wanted to school too. Unlike um, when I was in Ukraine, I had to wear um, a uniform and you had to sit really straight and, you know, you would be smacked with a stick if you raised your hand too high and things like that. So I was utterly shocked when I came to the school in the States, how kids were not, they were like slouching in their seat, you know, on the desk and they were like raising their hand like really high and waving it. And I was like, oh my God, he's going to get in trouble any minute now. And oh my gosh, you know, I had a kid, Kenny, who got thrown in a dark closet after his, his hands were slapped with a ruler because, um, because he was, I don't even remember what he was doing. I just remember Kenny went to the dark closet and got locked in. <laughs> Where did you so, go to school? We were still in the South. Okay. We still had some rules at that time. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Sometimes some of these things, you know, a little, a little smack on the hand. It's not a bad not thing. A bad thing. I, I do remember Kenny was disruptive and I do think he probably deserved it, but. Well, maybe we'll find Kenny. But in. this is Portland, so it's different. Okay. And this is probably why Portland is Portland today. I don't know. But anywho, so. But you seem to adapt and and have lived the American dream and now own your own business and your right, family. Yeah. 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 But I mean, you know, again, coming back to when my mom moved to the States, she worked multiple jobs. I mean, and it was it was crazy. I remember my mom trying to sell everything. I mean, all the multi-level marketing people they got her. She was selling vacuums, she was selling <laughs> everything. Then she had a daycare in her house, um, you know, during the day and then she was sewing at night. I mean, this woman was like, looking back now as a parent, as an adult, it's like, how did she do all that? You know, and her goal was to get out of poverty, to get out of being dependent on the government assistant programs and things like that. She wanted to give us a better future. So for me, that's such a, inspiration today to really want to do better and be better and live in a way that honors the sacrifices that were made before me by these people, um, which I think is so significant. Uh, your story is just, I mean, every, everything is just, I, I'm speechless because of just the resilience and I, I, that word we toss around, but if the resilience of your grandmother, but also your mother just there in that story to do whatever it took to establish your family and an economic future, had she, had she had a career before she came here in the U in the Ukraine? So would be true that in the Soviet Union you did what they told you to do. You didn't well, have a lot of choices. You didn't have a lot of choices, but if you were not um, part of the Communist Party, like she wasn't part of the youth, you know, elementary school to all the way to high school, um, you were actually not allowed to pursue higher education because you had to commit to the communist um, ideals and, and their values. 
And so because my mom didn't do that, she wasn't allowed to get a higher education. And so her mom encouraged her to learn how to be a seamstress. So at least she could do that as a side hustle, essentially. And so that's something she had the skill of. And growing up, my mom was always measuring people and people would come in and she'd so you know be sleeping and she'd be sewing clothes. And then daytime, she'd be measuring and taking care of the kids. And so in the States, she also, I think someone donated her um, sewing machine. So she was doing that. But I mean, the hustle was real. We worked um, so many jobs, like growing up. I remember delivering newspapers with my mom in the middle of the night. Um, there was just like no end. But for her, the drive was there because she was living in a place that she can, you know, get out, that she can work hard. And um, you ha you were able to work at more than one job if you wanted to. You know, you weren't limited. You could have your own business. So she did all sorts of things. It's It's incredible to the amount of work that she put in. Uh, was she a proud flag-waving American? Uh yes, she was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she I mean, throughout, you know, me living in the States here, um, I heard my mom multiple times say, I'm so glad that I was able to get you guys here. She said, I can't imagine uh what life would be like if I, you know, if we didn't live here. I'm so happy. And you know, my mom never got to hear about the Ukrainian Russian war. She passed away in in um end of April of 2019. So she had no idea that that even happened. Um, and actually the town that we lived on in prior to moving was one of the town on the border. So that definitely wouldn't have um, turned out well for our family if we could stay there. So I am blessed on multiple levels to be here today. What was the, the change of perception for your grandmother, you know, hesitance of America than coming to America? Well, because her daughter was already living there here, um, she was able to tell her, hey, mom, things aren't what we're told. It's not what it seems. These rotten capitalists aren't really, because what they were told is um, there's bums in the street. There's only a few rich people. You know, you have the top percent of rich people and everybody else is poor. Everybody's homeless. People are begging for food. Do you really want to go to a country that you're going to be starving and you're going to be out in the streets? And so there was a lot of um, kind of these false rumors that were going around. Um, and even my, my aunt shared this with me. She said, uh, she called her mom to, you know, update her and how things were going that, you know, she should look into coming here and this and that. And she said, mom, I can't find a teapot anywhere. I don't, I don't even know where to buy a teapot. She goes, what kind of country is that? You can't even buy a teapot. She goes, in my own little humble house, I have a teapot. She goes, my daughter can't even get something to boil water with in America. So for her, that was like, what? You know, but it's like Americans are coffee drinkers and not tea drinkers, right? <laughs> <laughs> so there's plenty of coffee makers, but tea is not, it's so, but in Russia and Ukraine, it's tea is more of the culture. You can have coffee, but usually it's instant coffee that, that I like most familiar with, but tea is a big thing. But so for her, it was just like kind of funny. Um, but yeah, I think the shift happened when they got to see that and and the other shift too is that my grandmother knew that as long as she lived in that country, even when the political climate was different, she never felt fully free because she lived in the same town that she was arrested in, the same town that she was taken by the Nazis, the same town that she was taken by the KGB. Um, and they had files on her. And so she knew that, you know, she wasn't really fully free. And that as long as she's going to live here, um, you never know what's going to happen. And, but at the same time, you didn't really want to tell people that you were moving to America because you didn't want 
too much attention and people talking and all of that, because what if you weren't accepted into America? Now you're again, a traitor. You know, we're, our time is winding up, but um, it's an amazing story. I know that you're putting this story into a book. And I think that everyone, when this book is released, needs to read this and hear this story. And if you could just, you have 30 seconds, just how you can end, what you would tell people. And again, 30 seconds um, from your story and what they should know as an American. I know 30 seconds to summarize all this. Um, I think that it's really important to look at the past to, to value, because like you said, freedoms aren't really free. The fact that we have the freedoms that we have today is um, because someone else had paid the price for it. That's in my case personally. Thank you so much for joining us, Fekka. Um, it's an amazing story. It's a lesson for all of us. And the tagline that we share, um, I think takes on new meaning right now. The tagline when we end this show is wherever you are, whatever you can do today, stand up, step forward and speak out. And uh, we heard a wonderful story about that today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. 